James, Soundness of Soul from the Inside Out. This is part six. I want to talk to you about finding fruitfulness in your Bible study. Finding fruitfulness in your Bible study. The text we read, it's James 1, to 25. Let me just read it quickly again. But be doers of the word and not hearers. And you can see the contrast he's making, can't you, with that and that. So what's happening right now is this. That's what's happening right now. What will happen Monday will be, will be this. And James wants us to know that those are two things, not the same thing. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The deception, of course, is that one could easily think that I'm a good Christian because I was here on Sunday morning and I, I heard Pastor Don blithering on up there, so there. That, that's the deception. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, and he says natural face because he, he wants us to know now that he's using a very physical illustration. You get up in the morning and you look at that face in the mirror, and you know you have to do something so you don't frighten small children when you walk down the street. Looks at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law And then this fascinating phrase I'm going to get to, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, and then there's the promise, he will be blessed in his doing. And and the doing of the word doesn't always look blessed before you do it. It can look difficult. It can look impractical. It will surely look unpopular. Okay? And if you're going to let those lies keep you from doing the Word, what you're going to miss is, what you're going to miss is this, being blessed. Let's pray. We want good lives Lives pleasing to Jesus. Lives that point men and women to our Creator God and our Redeemer. So much is at stake when we open our Bibles. What we're doing now is the one thing about our lives that will last forever. So come, Holy Spirit, help us to Help us to see there's treasure here. There's, there's treasure here that's better than gold. There's something here that won't perish in our hearts and lives. We praise you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you see this word right here? But... The, that word but at the beginning of verse 22 uh, snaps 22 and 23 with 21 like a piece of Lego. It's connected. 
Therefore, put away, put away all filthiness and the rampant wickedness. We talked about that two weeks ago. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Save your souls, that's the important thought there. And so that word, but, at the beginning of verse 22, it, it, it's there for a purpose. It's there because that's James' way of reminding you and reminding me that the mere removal of wickedness from our lives doesn't make us godly. It makes us moral. You can't get to heaven by stopping lying, stopping swearing, stopping cheating. You can't get to heaven because you stop looking at pornographic sites on the internet. You can't get to heaven because you stop cheating on your wife. You should stop all those things. Put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness. But there's more to it. Putting away evil isn't the same as biblical holiness and righteousness. And the reason this matters is James wants everyone to understand that more than morality is going to be necessary if we're going to do this, save our souls. You can't save your soul by quitting lying. You need the word of truth, the gospel, Christ, the kingdom. Receive with meekness the implanted word. And now, James wants to tell us what he means by receiving with meekness. That's right there. Receive with meekness the implanted word. He wants to tell us what that means. If we are Christians at all, it is because Father God has, verse 18, brought us forth by the word of truth. We looked at that. You and I are Christians, if that's what we profess to be, because of the word of truth. And if we have been brought forth, 18, by the word of truth, now James is going to tell us in 22 and 23 and 24 that, that the word of truth if we've been birthed by it, brought forth by it, received salvation by it, we will demonstrate that by the way we humbly receive the same word of truth on an ongoing basis. So being birthed by the word of truth is connected to daily, humbly receiving the word of truth. And the reason James is so insistent on that is because Never before in the church have there been more people who think they can humbly receive, be birthed by the word of truth, and then live their own lives their own way. And James says, you, you can't do that. You can't do that. So the birth is measured in terms of the ongoing reception of the truth of the word in our lives. In other words... Genuine conversion establishes an ongoing relationship with the truth of God's Word. And this and this alone proves the 
genuineness of saving grace received in the first place. Anybody can say they're a Christian. I can teach a parrot to say I'm a Christian. But you can't self-produce Christianity. It doesn't come from just saying you're saved. How do you know you've been brought forth by the word of truth? Well, day by day, instead of doing your own thing, you will increasingly humbly receive the word of truth. Humbly means you won't feel inclined all the time. You'll want to argue. You'll have different views. You'll have a different way you want to take your life, but you will just humbly receive what God says. There, James says, that's proof of divine life in the heart. So that's the point James is trying to unpack. Our faith isn't just talk. Our lives have been birthed by the Word when they are increasingly shaped by that same Word. That's the reasoning of James. So, what does it mean to receive the implanted Word? You have a Bible. I have a Bible. We open them up. We read them. We study from them. There are teachers, preachers, lectures, classes, study groups, Bible study groups, personal devotions, stuff on TV, stuff on the Internet, stuff on the radio. The Word. It's received all the time. What does it mean to humbly receive the implanted Word? James will tell us. When, when, when have we received the Word? And James is going to answer that question and say, you've received the word when you're doing the word. Until then, you're just hearing it, but you're not receiving it. 22, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. 25, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts... He will be blessed in his doing. There's no blessing from reading the Bible. That might shock you. There is no blessing from reading the Bible. The blessing comes from doing what you read in the Bible. So if we take the teaching from two weeks ago and this week's teaching together, we see a couple things. We see that we're to be quick to hear the Word in terms of readiness and alertness. That's in 19. We studied that. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But by hearing the Word quickly, James doesn't mean hearing it superficially, lightly, or carelessly. And to flesh all of that out, James writes... Well, he writes what is perhaps the most classic passage in the whole Bible on what it means to use the Word of God fruitfully in our lives. So that paints a bit of the background. Point number one. James outlines the particular danger of self-deception that comes to religious Bible readers. That's in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. So, when has a person humbly received the implanted word? 
That's the issue that was introduced, by the way, in, in the verse right before, in verse 21. Receive with meekness the implanted word. So that's, that's the issue that was introduced. Now he's talking in verse 22. Be doers of the word. Notice the way James ends that 21st verse. It's very important. James wants to make sure we all understand what's at stake. Pastor Don, don't be so legalistic. I mean, people have all sorts of different ways of living and all sorts of different viewpoints. Who made you judge of the world? Like, let's just let everybody live and let live. There's people that think that in the body of Christ. Tolerance equals godliness to a lot of people. The problem with that is it's not loving. You might think it feels loving, and it might be very popular, but it isn't loving. James wants us at the end of that 21st verse to see what's at stake here. We're talking about our souls being saved. That's why he finishes that verse with the reminder that it is the reception of the implanted word that makes the saving of the soul possible. Back to 22. Well, what makes the saving of the soul possible? You have to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer deceiving yourself. The word is received when, and apparently only when, the word is obeyed. And it takes humility, James says. Because the word frequently, I don't know if you experience this, I find all the time I get up different days, and I have certain inclinations and certain attitudes and certain ideas and certain plans for my life, and I read God's Word. Have you ever had this happen where it seems to be at cross-purposes with what you'd naturally like to do? Has anybody else ever experienced that? Four of us. (laughs) I thought I was confessing a sin that you could all relate to. Apparently, it's just me, so... So it takes humility to properly receive the Word. To receive the Word is to put it into practice. The Word that saved us must also shape us. You can't have it save you without having it shape you. It doesn't come on those terms. If the Word doesn't continually shape me, then it hasn't saved me. That's the uncomfortable logic, I'm sorry, that James simply won't allow us to miss when verses 21 and 22 are snapped together. And that this is indeed what James means to say is made clear by the way he finishes verse 22, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What kind of deception is that? What's he talking about when he says deceiving yourselves? If you think it's enough, if you think your soul will be saved just by hearing the gospel and saying, I kind of like that. I don't go to hell, I go to heaven. Jesus bears my sins, I don't. This is a sweet deal. I get to go on all the rides, and Jesus pays for the ticket. 
But in terms of going to church regularly, reading my Bible regularly, making Christian friendships in the body of Christ, in terms of building a Christian life, not that interested. Not that interested. But boy, it's, it's nice to call myself a Christian. James says, you are just deluded. Do you see that in the text? You are just deceived. Listen to these words. Douglas Moo has a wonderful commentary on the book of James. And he writes about these words. Don't just deceive yourself, thinking that hearing is enough. Don't deceive yourself. And, and Moo writes this, quote, The idea of deceive in this context is clear. To be deceived is to be blinded to the reality of one's true religious condition. People can think they are right with God when they really are not. And so, it is for those people who hear the word, church attenders, maybe seminary students, seminary professors, pastors, but do not do it. They're mistaken in thinking that they are right with God. For God's word cannot be divided into parts. If one wants the benefits of its saving power, one must also embrace it as a guide for life. The person who fails to do the word, says James, is a person who has not truly received God's word at all. Instead of saying amen, let's all just say, ouch. Yeah. Those are strong words. But I think those are James' words. You have to let the text shape the message, folks. You don't need my thoughts. We need to know what James is saying. Notice what this verse says. These hearers only, they deceive themselves. They don't deceive God. They deceive themselves. Perhaps they've come to actually believe theirs is a genuine faith. They've told themselves that for so long. Their parents are Christians. Maybe they think their faith is as good as most. But however sincerely held, James says, it's not real. They're deceived. I'm quite certain. I'm quite certain we're at a very significant crossroad in the life of the contemporary church. I've never seen it to this degree in at least all my years in ministry. Something is, something is shifting in the church right before our eyes. I'm talking about the evangelical church. Something is shifting right before our eyes. Personalized definitions of faith and personalized definitions of Christianity abound. We're all, so we're told, on our own journey. We take our journey on our own terms. And heaven forbid anyone should even pretend to have anything absolute to say about where we're going or how we're going to get there. People, it seems, can find just about any kind of Jesus they want 
and follow that Jesus pretty much on their own terms. And if you disagree with them, you know what's coming back. They're going to tell you, don't judge. I'm sick of hearing, don't judge. There is absolute truth. I am not the judge. But if God says your faith isn't real, then I'm the worst person in the world if I distort that message and don't tell you the truth. That's not the act of a judge. That's an act of love. The fact that so much of the church seems to buy into this may only show how true tragically true James' words are and how badly we need his warning even if it's too late in some people's lives to do any good. Once you're self-deceived, you usually only hear these words and think of how they apply to someone else. Point number two. How the Word of God is and is not like a mirror 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's, so here it is, like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks, looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Please see what James is saying and what he isn't saying. He isn't just talking about a man who looks into a mirror and doesn't use it. That's part of the point, but it's not the main point. The text goes deeper than that. It has to do with the way we all use mirrors. We get up in the morning, and we use a mirror for a few moments. You wash your face, you brush your hair, you brush your teeth, you shave or you put on makeup. But then, of course, we leave the mirror and we get on with the tasks of the day. And unless you're an incredibly vain person, those moments in front of the mirror, they're important, there's nothing wrong with them, but they're isolated pretty much from the rest of at least the morning. You go your way, you forget about the mirror while you uh, work, while you study, while you shop, while you play, while you travel. So that's what verse 24 is about. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. The mirror was important for that moment, and then you normally forget about it. There are other things to do. You put the mirror out of your mind. Now, there is nothing wrong with using a mirror that way. This is James' point. There's nothing wrong with using a mirror that way. There's something terribly wrong with using God's Word that way. See, that's the point. That's the point. Through all of this, James is pulling out two lessons. One comes from a similarity with the mirror illustration, and the other comes with a contrast. First, the similarity. When you see what needs to be done from looking in the mirror, and when you see what needs to be done in your life from looking at God's Word, you just do it right away. After all, that's what the mirror is for. You don't go to a mirror just to gather information about yourself. You go to a mirror to fix something that desperately needs fixing. 
There's something terribly wrong with the person who gets up in the morning, goes to the mirror, and says, wow, what a mess. That's what I was afraid of. And then just goes off to the wedding. Whatever that person is doing with the mirror, he's not using it to his personal advantage at all. There's a similarity here. Now James is going to say this is, this is true with God's Word. Anyone who studies the Word without doing it, that's what he's writing about, isn't really receiving the Word at all because the Word isn't there just to supply information. That's why James compares it to a mirror and not a computer. When you look into a mirror, there's only one reason. It's to fix something. You can go to a computer just to learn something. But when you go to a mirror, it's to fix something. And James says, yes, it's not like a computer. It's like a mirror. Do it. That's the similarity. This is true of everything that the Bible teaches. You can't learn God's Word like you learn French or algebra. This is true of everything the Bible teaches. Every Sunday night at the close of church, we've done it for years, and we'll all bow together. We'll do it tonight. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Pause. There it is in the most famous passage in the Bible. Jesus is teaching me how I come to know spiritual truth. Lord, let me know the reality and power of forgiveness in my life. I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. Teach me about forgiveness. Fine, Jesus says. If you want to know about my forgiveness, you can't just read Bible verses about it. If you want to know about my forgiveness, here's what you have to do. You have to start doing forgiveness. Did you get where I'm going with this? You have to start doing forgiveness. You can't learn about forgiveness. Forgiveness gets implanted. You receive, and it gets implanted when you start doing forgiveness. Look at this church. It's, it's you know, even, even in the summertime, it's a reasonably big church. There's a lot of people. And we're going to sing about God's love and forgiveness. And if you're here and someone's mistreated you, they've done something that you don't think is fair, something you don't think is right, you feel slighted, you're upset about it, you're, you're, you're going to be unlearning everything about God's forgiveness. God puts us in a community like this so that we can learn forgiveness. I mean, really learn forgiveness. So when does a Christian know about forgiveness? When he prays for forgiveness? No. That's what most of the church thinks. When he reads about the importance of forgiveness? No. That's good, but that's not it. Answer. The Christian knows about forgiveness from God or from anyone else. When he does forgiveness from his heart toward his enemy, there is no other way to open your life to the biblical truth on the subject of forgiveness than forgiving. You can't just memorize promises about forgiveness, claim promises about forgiveness. You forgive and you learn about forgiveness. That's just one example. Do the Word. 
That's how you receive it. So I said there's a similarity and a contrast when he talks about the mirror. The similarity is you go to a mirror so you can fix something, and you go to the Word so you can do something. But there's a contrast. The limitation of any mirror is you just can't keep it in front of you for the entire day. I'm not sure I... It's not a theological issue. I'm just not sure I fully understand why it's against the law to have a cell phone in your hand. I pulled up to an intersection, and there was... I'm sorry. In this case, there was a lady beside me. She had a coffee, and she was holding it in her hand. She had the mirror tilted down, and she was putting on something in her eyes, and she was going like this. And I thought, really, can a cell phone be that much more dangerous than that? Apparently, you can eat an Egg McMuffin, put on makeup, clip your toenails. You can do all of that while you drive the car, but you cannot hold a cell phone in your hand. The limitation of any mirror, as hard as we might try, is you can't keep it in front of you the entire day. The impact of a mirror is simply lost when you walk away from it. And now the contrast. God's Word, while certainly you can't just read it 24 hours a day, unlike the mirror, the truth from God's Word has to be received, considered, applied, and meditated on after the book is closed or the iPad is closed and put back on the shelf. There's something that has to be continuous in the application of the Word, unlike the mirror. Which leads us to James' next point. Three. The Word of God is the mirror you never walk away from. You see it in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty... And do you see this word? And perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets. So if you, if you don't persevere, you see, this is what happens. You forget. But a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I want to develop three thoughts quickly from verse 25. The one who looks, the literal meaning is to to stoop and to peer into. You'll find the very same thought in Proverbs 2.4. If you look for wisdom as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Treasure doesn't lie on the surface. You go digging for it. That's what, that's what James is saying, looking into God's Word. It's not a glance. It's not a quick read. You, you go mining. You go digging. That's James' picture of gleaning truth from God's Word. You get a Bible dictionary. You get a commentary, a study Bible, a concordance. You look up cross-references. You check to see how other texts deal with the same idea, shedding different light on it. Look who looks into the perfect law. But even that isn't enough. You receive the Word of God as you make it a a part of you. That was hinted at in 21 when James talked about 
the implanted word. Implanted. Something, something that can't be separated from the rest of your life. Have you ever tried? You ever you got a garden, you've got a number of shrubs and bushes, and one of them's not doing too well. I did this uh, yesterday, and you're gonna and you're gonna take one of them out. And it's been there a long time. And you think, well, I'll just go with a little shovel and I'll just pull that thing out. But it's been implanted there for a while with roots that go all over the place. And you can't just separate it from all the other things that are around it very easily. That's, that's what James means about the truth of God's Word being implanted. You, you can't separate... You can't separate what, what the Word says about the things I hold before my eyes. You can't separate that from my viewing habits on television. They're of one, they're of one piece. They're meshed now. The implanted Word. Something you can't separate from your actual being. A part of who you are. The way your blood type is a part of who you are. So look. Look intently. The second thing in verse 25 is perseveres. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. And so I learn something. I say, all right, James is telling me, James is telling me that you have to stay at this to begin to see fruit produced. How are we to meditate on God's Word? Well, the psalmist tells us in his law, Psalm 1, he meditates day and night. He's not reading it day and night. But there aren't any times when, when it's not alive in his mind. It's like a computer program that's always running in the background. I mean, you take away day and night, and there's not much time left. That's the psalmist's point. There are no parts of the day, there are no parts of the day where I allow the word of truth no access to my thoughts and my actions. I don't carve up my life into compartments, some of which come under the authority of the word, and some of which, well, it's just not relevant. I have a business to run. Sounds demanding, and in a certain sense it is, but remember, this is no loveless, legalistic, unobeyable command. It would be rather loveless, wouldn't it, just to dictate that all people, they should do nothing but stick their heads in their Bibles day and night. But that's not the thrust here. In the godly life, if you've lived the Christian life for a while, you'll know what I'm talking about. In the godly life, there's there's a constant dialogue with the Word. I keep that. uh, We parlay back and forth between Word and heart. And that should keep going all day long through all the activities of my life. I mean, there are many things that don't readily look like they have anything at all to do with the Word of God or my Christian faith. But that's just the way things look on the surface. As I grow in Jesus and as I listen to the Holy Spirit and as I spend more time looking carefully 
at my life through the lens of biblical truth, my mind will be trained, not instantly, but gradually, to see more eternal significance in everything to which I set my hand, because I bring the word of truth into it. I don't just let my life happen to me. Well, boy, Pastor Don, I don't think I'm terribly ungodly. I don't want to be. But I just don't think of all that stuff as I go through the day. How how can I learn to bring all of my life under the umbrella of God's Word? First, spend more time in the Word. How much of God's Word do you think it would be good to have hidden in your heart? Ask yourself that question. And how is it going to get there? Secondly, constantly bring your thoughts, especially moral judgments, your conscience. Bring that under the scrutiny of the Word. A great text on that is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active. When he says living and active, I think Christians misinterpret that. He doesn't mean here. It is God's inspired word. I get that. God breathed. The living and active part is, is piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, the discerning of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's, he means the word of God has come to live up here. It's active. I go to restaurants. The word of God is active. It's switched on. I go to movies. The word of God is switched on. I go to work. The Word of God is switched on in my mind, in my heart. I have friends. Some follow Christ. Some don't. When I'm with friends who don't follow Christ, I still have the Word of God switched on in my mind, living, active. What's it doing in there? I got thoughts, ideas. I have these intentions. Here's what I'm going to do. This is what everybody else is doing. Yeah, I think I intend to do that. And James says, the word of, the writer of Hebrews says, the word of God is switched on so that I don't make those decisions on my own. The word of God's active. Activated. Well, I'm taking too long. Servers, you can go and get ready for communion, okay? Get the emblems and just... Just be at the back. Thank you. I said there were three things. Third, to get the word implanted in your heart, pray unceasingly for the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit in daily activities. John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, notice the Trinity here, in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Primarily, the application of that verse is to the original apostles who wrote the Scriptures. We can be sure that they're inerrant because the Holy Spirit guided and supervised and helped them remember everything exactly right. But a secondary application of those words is to our lives. I've I've been following Jesus for 53 years. 
To this day, it is a humbling thing to have God show me just how much of a day I can live leaning on my own understanding and acquired experience and not thinking about the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. I need to pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal very specifically the word-centered way of responding to people who aggravate me, temptations that come my way, situations that are frustrating, fears that arise in my heart. I need need more and more to find a word-centered way of responding to life situations because, like you, see, see us all right here right now? Not one of us has ever been here before. We have never been here before. And we need God's touch, and we need His Word guiding and directing our lives. The last thing, I'm jumping to the close. Sorry for those guys who are trying to follow me up there in the booth. Don't worry about it. Does this work? It does. It does. The last part of 25, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. And do you see those last words? He will be blessed in his doing. He'll be blessed in his doing. Does it take effort to bring the word of truth to bear on all of life? Yes, it does. It takes considerable effort. Is it a very popular way to live life in this world? No, it is not. Will God honor it? That's actually the question to ask first. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. Well then, Pastor Don, why doesn't everyone just just honor the Word and follow Christ faithfully? Well, people don't because they have desires, they have attractions, They have ambitions that make God look wrong in His judgment on their lives. You have those, by the way. Every one of us goes through seasons during the day where we've got got our own direction, our own aim in life, and there's something about our desires, our ambitions, our attractions... I'm not talking just sexual, that's included. Drawn to material things, drawn to revenge when we've been wrong, drawn to greed, drawn to pride, to always having to be right. We've got certain things that pull our lives in certain directions, and all of those inward things make God look incorrect. Humbly receive the word, let it put down roots. Do it. Just do it. God said it long before Nike ever got a hold of it. And what happens? You know what? I want, if you're here and you're under 40, I really want to talk to you. All those things that your own heart tells you, it can secure on its own terms. It's going to be a dead end. If you leave Jesus out of your life, It's going to be a dead end. 
That's not a maybe. It's a for sure. Ultimately, it'll be a dead end. You'll stand before the Lord one day. There's the ultimate dead end. But all those things that are, that are screaming for you to take life into your own hands, if you will learn to submit and say, here's, here's what the Lordship of Christ means in my life. Here's what you'll find out. As difficult as that looks now, when you get into it, you're going to find out God's going to bless you. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And everyone said? Let's pray.